Well, I want to add my uh, Happy New Year's wish to all of you. 2017, can you believe it? They say um, that as you grow older, time seems to go faster. And 2016 seemed to go by in a blink of an eye. So I don't know what that says about me. But not obviously that I'm not old. I know that. Hey, uh, do you ever make goals for the new year? I don't mean New Year's resolutions. Those things always fail by February. I'm talking about a goal, a long-term thing you want to kind of achieve or, or something you want to, to com- be committed to for the new year. How many of you for 2017 are, are you know, made a goal for yourself that during the year you'll go, draw closer to God and, and you'll become uh, more of a follower of Jesus Christ? How many of you made that goal? So what are the rest of you doing? Um, anybody make a goal here to draw away from God and to become more worldly? Yeah, I didn't have anybody in the first service either. It's amazing, though, that that does happen. I mean, there are times when, when we'll find ourselves drifting away from God, being more enamored with the world, being more caught up in the world, and yet does anybody really start the year with that as its goal, with their goal? Hmm. This is kind of our focus of our passage today, though we're going to be looking at it in, in its totality of how it's existing now, but with, a, with Revelations, an end times look. So turn with me, if you would, to chapter 17 of Revelations. Revelation, there's only one, um, page 1037 in your blue Bibles. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns." The woman was arrayed, arrayed in, in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a, a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Seems like we're back in Revelation, huh? It was a nice little tour in December of the gospel. The whole time John's preaching that, I'm going, i got to start the new year back in Revelation. It's going to be a little challenging. And, and it, to get ourselves back in the context, we kind of got to remind ourselves, Revelation is not a book you just pick up and jump into in the middle. If you remember what we've been doing, we had the, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And, and we took the position that each of those are looking at the same period of time and the same events in history from different points of view. The most recent in chapter 16 were the bowls. And, and the, sixth, the sixth and the seventh of all three of those look at the very end of it. The seventh is the final judgment of God on earth. The sixth is the one that leads right up to this. So in 17... We're going to look in more detail at the sixth and the seventh bowls. It's it's not going to say bowls other than in this opening, but that is what we're looking at. We're looking at the end of God's judgment, but it's going to give us clues to what's been happening ever since the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Okay, we've got a little context. All right. 
Two things, other things we got to remember is a lot of symbolism here, and we're going to have two main characters in this uh, passage. Uh, one is um, Babylon, or it's referred to initially as the, the great prostitute, but Babylon, and that symbolizes the ungodly world, the fallen world. Now, we're not talking about creation. We're not talking about trees and grass. We're talking the world, the economic, the religious, the, the governmental systems. Now, we've got to remember a system in of itself is not good or bad. Uh, socialism, capitalism, whatever. It, there isn't a good or bad system. It's the humans that make the system good or bad, and we humans are fallen. Okay, so Babylon is the fallen system, like the most efficient form of government, a benevolent dictatorship. The problem is finding the benevolent dictator, right? So it's not the system, it's the human people in that system, the fallen nature. And so that's when we talk about Babylon, that's what we're talking about, the world, and we're going to be talking more about that. The other one is the beast, okay? And the beast, we've had the beast for a while, we're going to have the beast some more. The beasts are the the spiritual or demonic forces opposed to God. People will say, well, is the beast Satan? Well, at times the term is used to refer to Satan, but other times it's not. So it's best to just think when we say beast, the, the totality of the spiritual demonic forces opposed to God. And you know there's a battle, right? We're going to be getting into that today. Okay, so... Here we go. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Okay. So uh, what we're talking about in, in 16 and se- or 17 and 18 is the judgment of God on this fallen system of the world. Okay. And, and that's what it's looking at. He, he calls it um, in this symbolism, the great prostitute, and we're going to see more of why that is. But, and they're seated on many waters. The, the seating on many waters speaks to the fact that um, sits over or is influencing the, the kings and rulers of the world. And we'll see that in, in back in uh, a little bit. So we have here in, in, in the, the world and in demonic forces, we have two of the three forces that Paul talks about in Ephesians that are opposed to us and are causing us to be, as he says, walking dead people. We have the world, Satan, and the third is our sinful nature, our flesh. A lot of different terms are used. And so those are the, the three, okay? A lot of times when we look at these, we understand we're sinful, We understand that the Bible teaches us about Satan, but it's the world that's the one that sometimes doesn't get our attention. And and much of 17 and 18 is focused on the world. So so why the attention? Well, Kenneth Boa, in his book, Conformed to His Image, when talking about these three forces, of the three forces, the world may be the most neglected. Yet it is a powerful force that has programmed much of our thinking from the moment of birth. The world is an enticing magnet that constantly lures us to conform to its standards. It tempts us to seek the approval and praise of people rather than God. It pulls us into greater involvement with the temporal value system with its quest for wealth, power, prestige, position, and popularity. 
draws us away from the eternal value system revealed in Scripture. Worldliness is not merely a matter of questionable activities. It is a heart attitude. When Christians are in bondage to the elementary principles of the world, that's what Paul refers to them as, they cannot enjoy the freedom and victory that is in Christ. And so it's fitting that today's passage uses the symbolism that it does. G.K. Beale, who the commentary we've been using for much or for all of the study of Revelation, puts it this way. Symbolizing Babylon, or the world, as a harlot connotes her alluring and seductive nature in tempting to draw us away from Christ. That's what the world's goal is. The world's goal is to draw us to itself and away from God. You see, there's, there is this battle going on. And, and the challenge for us is we're in the middle of the battle, as we'll see in a little bit. Now, why Babylon? Well, it's interesting. When we think of Babylon as, as Christians, we think of that country that reigned for about 100 years back at 500 B.C. that destroyed, that God used to destroy Judah, the southern kingdom, and the Jews, and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Totally destroyed it. He had them do that in judgment of Judah. Now, he was no fan of Babylon, and he predicts Babylon's demise in Jeremiah 51. By the way, Wednesday night, we're doing Jeremiah. You can still get in. We only got about four or five weeks left, but we're getting to the stuff that's really, really good. And so he uses it to, to destroy him, to bring judgment, and to start the whole process over again. So he sends them into exile. What's the problem? They go into exile and then when he calls them back to remake his nation, remake his people of God, they don't want to come back. They go, you know, we kind of like it in Babylon. You know, this has kind of become our home. We've gotten really comfortable. We don't want to go back to Judah. I mean, it's kind of a mess. I want to stay here. And what a powerful symbol for us as Christians how we see this world as comfortable, as the place we want to be, whose value systems we should adopt. Instead of going to the kingdom of God where God calls us as his people to be and live. Just as the Jews saw Babylon as in a comfortable place, we see the world as everything we want. Hmm. goes on. is seated on the waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. There's literally nothing literal, literal, in 17. So we, we have to understand what um, the Holy Spirit and John are talking about and really not that hard if we get the symbolism down. So it's talking about the rulers or kings being drawn to Babylon. They're being drawn because they're being enticed by ill-gotten gain or power and wealth. Why does someone want to be a ruler? You know, in the 40 kings, when the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel split, there are 40 kings that are talked about in 2 Kings. Out of 40 kings, only four does the Bible have anything good to say about. So why are those other kings 
so corrupt because they want what the world wants. They don't want what God wants. They don't have any time for God. They want what the world wants. means I want to be powerful and I want to be wealthy. And I'd argue on a national level, that's still very true today. Now, I don't want to condemn every national politician, but if you look around the world, we aren't finding a whole lot of people that are ruling for God and doing what God wants them to do. It goes on. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. It's the Holy Spirit that's giving this revelation to John, and we know that, and we, we understand that, and that's what makes this scripture. The other part, though, is that we're talking about a spiritual realm, a spiritual battle. Now, and we get sometimes uncomfortable that when we talk about spiritual realm, though the Bible talks about it constantly. And so we go, okay, that's like three miles up in the air, right? Heaven up there, that's where this battle is raging. No. Do you believe the Holy Spirit dwells in you, as we're told in Romans? If you've been justified and you've turned to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Well, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then that's the spiritual realm. Do you believe you're a spiritual person? Meaning, once you die, you continue on in existence. That's a spiritual person. Spirituality, the spiritual realm is all around us. Now, it's, it's fashionable in Christianity now to deny the existence of Satan or demonic or any of the negative side of the spiritual realm. But then the Bible's wrong. And if the Bible's wrong, then Paul would say we are the most pitied, should be the most pitied people in all of existence because we're believing a lie. See, we don't get to pick and choose out of the Bible what we want. We don't say, well, I'll take that, but I don't want that. I don't believe that, but I'll believe that. And the Satan and, and the, his minions are so commonly talked about in the Bible that we'd have to throw out an awful lot of the Bible to say that Satan doesn't exist. So there's a spiritual realm, and in the spiritual realm, there's this battle going on between the forces of good and evil. That's what the Bible says. It goes on. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and, I, and it had seven heads and ten horns. This is the same beast we talked about in chapter 13, described the same way. So this woman is sitting on this um, beast. So this world order sits on the demonic. We get really nervous about that. But why would we? We acknowledge that the world is fallen, Right? Because if the world wasn't fallen, we wouldn't need a Savior. So the world has fallen, and, and as the Bible tells us, Satan is the ruler of this world. Doesn't mean he's sovereign. Doesn't mean he's, he's over everything. It just means he is operating in this world. See, the spiritual realm where the battle is going on affects the physical realm. If you don't believe that, have you ever been sick? You ever had anything bad happen to you? You ever seen a relationship break up? You ever had kids walk away? Any of this? That's the battle we're talking about as it manifests itself in the physical realm. So the world, the fallen world, is associated with the beast. In fact, 
sits on the beast. Okay? Thus, the ruler of the world. Now, the interesting thing is John, in his gospel, tells us that Satan, the ruler of the world, has been judged and will be destroyed. So we know that. The problem is, the battle still continues. And that's going to be addressed in this passage. The woman who is arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and the earth's abominations. So, so we have this. Now the world looks beautiful, right? She looks beautiful. She's arrayed in all this beauty. In fact, in, in a little bit, we're going to see that John is even like in awe of her. So we aren't saying it isn't alluring. It doesn't look great. I mean, cars and houses and, and I don't know, snowmobiles and clothing and, and big bank accounts and all these things of the world look so great. And we can want them and, and, and desire them and say, my life would be so much better if I had Pick it. And the world tells us that you need to be happy. And this will make you happy. A bigger this, a better that, a, a new spouse, a, a this, a that, a this. That's what the world tells us. And they're all lies. They're the lies of this golden cup of impurities that the world spills out. You see, the world desperately needs us to agree with the world. The only power the world has is when we give it power by agreeing with it. But the power is, the world is not our friend. And we have, the power we have to align with either the world or with God. That's what the Bible says. Now, the greatest lie of all these lies the world tells us is that we can have it all. Oh, don't worry. You can have all the world offers and Christ. You go to church on Sunday morning, maybe come on a Wednesday night, and then you can do anything you want the rest of the week. Pursue any set of goals that the world tells you to pursue. It's okay as long as you do these two things. And yet the Bible is clear. Jesus Christ is clear. In Matthew 6, he says, We cannot serve two masters. We'll be devoted to one or despise the other. I think Kyle Edelman in his book, Not a Fan, says it well, though I, when I first read it, I was so startled that he said it this way. He says it's like, like proposing to your girlfriend and saying, I want to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you, but all the way, by the way, I want to bring my other girlfriend with into the marriage. That doesn't work. Yet when we turn from the world to Jesus Christ and say, you're my Lord and Savior, but oh, by the way, I'm going to serve the world, it's the same thing. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And so we must decide whose we are. Now, in case we have any question about this, 
Verse 6 says, And I saw the woman, the world, Babylon, drink from the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The world's goal is to destroy the church, the people of God. I know that's hard for us to believe because the key to the world is to seem like that's not its goal, to seem like it's our, it's our friend, not our enemy. And the only place, the only place that we're told that the world is not our friend but our enemy is in Scripture. You go anywhere else, the world says, hey, I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. See, I'll show you how you can live. And only when we hold on to Scripture do we understand that that's a lie. Goes on. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. This is John, the Apostle John, the writer of Revelation. He's in awe. I mean, we've acknowledged the lure, the beauty, the, the seductive nature of the world that even Paul gets caught in. But then the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries it. It's like the angel said, what are you doing? Can't you see? This is not your friend. This is not something that wants the best for you. Why, John, are you so in awe of the world. It's hard to resist. Beale goes on and says, Babylon is not a geographic locality, but a demonically directed economic and spiritual reality present throughout the church age. The woman in chapter 12 of Revelation gave birth to the church, while the harlot of chapter 17 attempts to destroy the church. Have you ever really pondered that reality? That the goal of the world is to destroy us. We are the church. It's not this building. We are the church. But why would it want to? Because the Bible, God, teaches that there's this battle going on. See, on one side of the battle, on one side of the, this battle that's going on is, is Satan, demonic forces, the world, and our sinful nature, our flesh, our unredeemed self. On the other side of the battle is the triune God, the church, and our redeemed self. So where does that put us? Puts us dead in the middle. You want to know where the battleground of the spiritual battle exists? It's right here. It's us. It's us collectively and individually. This battle rages in us between the unredeemed part of us or the, the flesh that we still live in and the redeemed part, the, the transformed part that still exists. And we know that. Again, if you ever want to think about is there a spiritual battle going on, think what goes on in your life. You do things you don't want to do. Things happen to you that you don't I don't deserve. Why is this happening to me? Because of this battle. 
And what we always have to remember is Jesus wins. We just need to be there at the end on his side. Goes on. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. This, is, this speaks to the thing we wrestle with. We know Satan was defeated with the cross and the resurrection. So why does he still wreak havoc in the world? But he does. He has not been taken out yet. And then it goes on. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. You see, the people that aren't in Christ think the world and, and the foundation of the world, Satan, is going to live forever, is the power, is what really matters. They don't have the wisdom of God that it's going to talk about here and it calls for a mind with wisdom. They don't have the wisdom of God to see that the world is not the end all to be all. That it will be destroyed. That it is under God's sovereignty. But it doesn't feel like that to them. Goes on. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is the, an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh. And goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet re received royal power, but they, have, they are to receive authority as kings for one hour to, uh, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Okay, what in the world was that? For 1,900 years since Revelation was written, people have been trying to make sense of that little passage there, and they've tried to fit it into our place and time, going, oh, this must be referring to this, or Roman Empire, or these, these emperors, or this king, or this empire, or this happened, and this happened. And then they're what? They're always wrong, because Christ hasn't returned yet. So there keeps to be more kingdoms and more kingdoms, and then they try to reset and all that. Let's stop trying to make it fit into human history and just acknowledge a couple of truths. First, worldly leaders, kings, are fallen people and thus are influenced by the beast. Second, there's a time in the future that, that evil is going to seem to be even more powerful than it is. But that is right before its destruction. Now, at least we have any question, unless we have any question about that this war exists. 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords, King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. We read a passage like this, and it can make our head hurt. What does all this mean? All this symbolism, all these things. You know what? It's just... I'm just going to set it aside because I can't make sense of it. Well, before we do that, let's just remember three things. Let's come away with three things from this passage. First is that there is a spiritual battle. It is real. And there are two sides. There are sides of evil and the sides of good. And we get very much caught in the middle. That tug, that pull, that angst, that fear, that anxiety, all that is us trying to live for the world and live for Christ. We need to let the world go. 
Second, the world is not our friend, nor is it seeking the best for us. I don't care if it's Oprah or Bill O'Reilly or Ellen DeGeneres or Rush Limbaugh, New York Times, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, NBC, almost anything on TV, any of those things are part of the world. They don't want what's best for us. They want what's best for them, which is usually money and power. Now, does that mean we, we turn off the TV and withdraw from the world? No. We're called to be in the world, but we need to be mindful of the influences that speak to us. We need to be aware. Sometimes it's easier to, to, to listen to those that you don't agree with because then you're aware of the conflict. Because when you, when you listen to those that you agree with, you get brought into that world that you think, yeah, 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 they're speaking truth. The only place you can find truth is in the Word of God. And finally, Christ wins in the end. He wins in the end. And for those who have aligned themselves with Christ, they win also. 2017, it's a new year. Let's, let's choose as a body and as individuals to side with a winner. To, 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 to draw closer to Christ every day in what we do and say. To be aware of the influences, the worldly influences around us. And to not allow ourselves to, to drift from God and toward the world. But to seek His wisdom, be drawn to His kingdom. And be used by Him in the spiritual battle. Let's pray. Gracious Father. At times, your word can be so challenging and so difficult. But if we can just get past so much of the stuff that the world tries to use to confuse us, we acknowledge your word's pretty straightforward and pretty simple. And help us each day of this new year be your children, draw closer to you, and to feel your spirit Form us into the people and the body that clearly has made you Lord of our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, we pray. Amen.